This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron. I'm one of your hosts, Wayne Chang. I'm Keith Baker. I'm Imogen Chinjo. All right. And in this episode, we'll be dreaming of the unity of Reardra. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Um, it's actually great. We're, we're trying to be more consistent with our, our, our recording. <laughs> but um, tonight, I'm mostly going to be shutting up uh, because this is the ch- this is the uh, you know, we're talking about dreams, we're talking about Reardra, and we've got we've got Keith and Imogen basically, these are their favorite topics. So <laughs> I can just mute my mic here, right? <laughs> but uh, a couple of references before we get started. Obviously, go and read uh, Ebron Rising from the Last War. <clears throat> um, it's got a, a nice section in there for that. And we've got Dragon Marks, a lot of different episodes, a lot of different articles here, sorry. Um, he's got a bunch of them. We have uh, his Ridge Arbors epi- uh, um, article. Uh, we've got the provinces. We've got a full article. If you're a, if you're a patron of uh, Keith on Patreon, something like a- eleven thousand words. It's a pretty big, yeah. big, big, big article. <laughs> we've got one on cities. We've got Secrets of Salona, three point five, uh, uh, three point five um, source book, uh, book source book. Um, and Imogen, I believe you have an adventure even coming out. Yes. So this uh, this is Escape from Riedra. If you look out for that on the DMs Guild, um, it may it might be out by the time this recording goes out. But if it's not, then it'll only be a few days away. Um, so yeah, I've been working on that for a while, and it's fairly long, at least by the sort of standards of adventures I've written before. So. I'm excited about Roger. You know, there's a lot to talk about. She's she's channeling Keith there. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, why don't we jump in? Uh, and because not everybody here is telepathic and psionic, we can't just beam the information to you. So mm-hmm. we'll actually be using the talkie-talkie mouths for this. So let's get started. What, what's the origin of this this content? What's the origin of, of, of this whole so- Roger thing, Keith? So first off, I mean, just in case there's someone out there who says, Raydra, I don't even know what that is. Uh, we should start by saying it is uh, most of the content and most of the adventures focus on the continent of Corvair, which is home to the five nations and civilizations inspired by arcane magic. Um, there is one of the other continents is Sarlona. And this is where humanity came from because humanity didn't start on Corvair. They actually uh, settled there from Sarlona. And once upon a time, Sarlona was filled with many different nations. Uh, but after humanity settled Corvair, uh, this force, the Dreaming Dark, essentially united many of those nations into a a empire, you might as well say, they call it the unity of Rhaedra. So Rhaedra is this vast uh, civilization on a neighboring continent, and it is mostly human, but it's very different from the five nations. So in terms of where it crystallized, uh, it was always part of the original uh, setting that there were, there was sort of an old world and a new world, if you will, that in, in the main continent where action happened, humans were the outsiders. You know, that part of the point is ultimately humans are a colonizing force. And I sort of wanted to play with that point that in 
most settings, humans are presented as the sort of common dominant race. And I sort of wanted to play a little with the fact that, yeah, but maybe they shouldn't be. Like that they didn't, they weren't always the dominant race of Corvair, uh, that they did come here from elsewhere and basically take it away from folks. Uh, so that idea was always out there and actually it tied to the Kalistar. And one of the things we've said before is that the Warforged and the Shifters both emerged over the evolution of uh, Eberron as we went from the 10-pager into the 100-pager, uh, whereas the, the Kalistar and the Inspired were there from the very beginning. And part of that was because I knew I wanted a concrete place for psionics in uh, in the setting, that having played D&D since first edition, psionics have always been around, but they've always been this weird, they don't really fit in tone with everything else. And I wanted to make sure that there was a place that this is where psionics sort of have developed the same way that arcane magic has developed in other parts of the world. All right. So that kind of gives us um, this background, this, this big continent, um, you know, cradle of humanity. Mm -hmm. And, as you said, it was part of the original documents, um, I guess, in the 100-page Bible. Was that the 100-page Bible, the 10-page? So as I said, it was it was there in the 10-page, you oh, know, the because page. the 10-page talked about the different races, and that included oh, okay. uh, the Inspired and the uh, Kalistar. Right. So, so kind of as we move forward, obviously, we know, and if you're listening to this, um, you're, you're learning that Ebron is different than other D&D settings. Hmm. And now you're talking about, <laughs> yes, we laugh, but it's true. <laughs> um, but now we're talking about two different continents where humanity, humans, human, mm -hmm. not human beings, but humans um, are the sort of dominant race. Mm -hmm. What was the whole point of, of having another continent like this old world and new world? Like, Are there certain themes that we're supposed to explore? Was it supposed to mean something? Was it... Uh, obviously, it was intentional, um, mm -hmm. but kind of what was the intent back? So, that? so there's two sort of uh, major elements to it, and and first there's the the sort of philosophical plot side, and then there's the more concrete mechanical side. Uh, as I said before, one of the key points was that I wanted a place in the world for psionics, but unlike say Dark Sun, where psionics are really baked into the core foundation of the setting. Uh, I also wanted the idea that not everybody likes psionics. You know, you shouldn't have to use them. They aren't uh, an automatic part of the world. And so by saying we're going to have a culture that that is tied to psionics, but it is going to be a distant culture, a mysterious sort of isolated culture, uh, it basically meant that we right away said to game masters, if you like psionics, if you want to use them in your game, bring in the inspired, have people go to Sarlona or have them come from Sarlona. You know, if you're trying to play a scion, you can always just say, oh, I'm a Kalistar monk or I was trained by, you know, Redra. Uh, and at the same time, if you want nothing to do with psionics, if you don't want that chocolate and your peanut butter, uh, you could always just say, nah, you know, we, we just don't really have any contact with it. It's a mysterious land. We've heard strange things about it. So it gave us that place of 
there is this absolute concrete place for psionics, and yet it's not that hard for a game master to just push it aside and say, I'm just going to ignore it for now. Um, from a more sort of philosophical story standpoint, it does a couple of things. First, as I said, it gives us that point that humans in many ways on a grand scale are invaders, that uh, it comes back to our discussion of the Dakani and basically that goblins uh, and, and orcs for that matter, you know, have, they aren't, uh, don't have to be evil, uh, but they have a, a rightful reason to be uh, antagonistic towards humans, that humans have taken their land and, you know, stolen their cities and things like that. And we wanted that, that note in there that, that there is a valid grudge uh, for, uh, the goblins and such, uh, and playing into that idea that the goblins had this ancient pre-human civilization. The third aspect that ties into it is the idea of the mysterious and alien, uh, culture. And that part of the point is it is both a human culture and it is where humanity comes from. And yet it has evolved into something that feels very alien and mysterious. It ties to the fact that they use a completely different form of, we'll say, science. You know, again, their magic, their supernatural uh, technology, if you will, is completely different from what we're used to. Uh, and their society is completely different from Corvair, where Corvair is, you know, warring nations, uh, trying to sort of find peace and such. Redra is this vast unity. Uh, and yet at the same time, that unity is very sort of disturbing and dystopic that it is this, you know, what we know as, as readers, you know, and players is an alien force that has come in and taken control of this civilization. At the same time, it's important to sort of call out the things that it's not. Uh, a lot of people sort of jump to the conclusion that, oh, it's supposed to, uh, you know, be like the mysterious East or something. And no, it's not, it's not supposed to reflect any nation on our world, any culture on our world, just like most of the places of Eberron, because what it's supposed to be is literally alien. This is a culture created by spirits of dream and nightmare. And it is a culture using psionic power, you know, and sort of saying the same way we say, how would arcane magic influence the growth of civilization in uh, the five nations? We want to say, well, if your tools are dream shaping, our telepathy, our teleportation, what does that society look like? How would it be different? Uh, the final piece I'd call out is it's often sort of looked at as, oh, it's kind of like, you know, the, the Soviet Union and the Cold War. It's this big, uh, you know, united but, but menacing force. And part of the point to me is that's not its relationship with the nations of Corvair, that there is a Cold War in Corvair, but it's between the five nations. And that the role of Redra is actually as this big, mysterious superpower that essentially most of the nations actually want to have a good relationship with, that during the last war, it did offer assistance, you know, that people aren't really afraid about Redra invading. They actually want to have a good trade relationship with it. And that that ties to this basic idea 
that we know so little about it and that our leaders actually want to have a relationship with it. They welcome, you know, their their region allies, whereas we as both players and most likely player characters know that, oh, but this is bad. This is a, you know, mysterious alien, you know, conspiracy. And so it's supposed to have that, you know, that that tension of we know this is bad. And yet at the same time, the five nations actually would like to be uh, to strengthen their ties with it. And so that's sort of the point. Yeah, I think on that point um, is, I suppose there are two very different ways you may end up running Raedra, mm-hmm. um, depending on the knowledge level of your players. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can, I mean, it's very likely that if you're running a game with, you know, Eberron fans, everyone at the table is going to know that something is up with this uh, inspired diplomat who is um, at this party in Fairhaven or in Shan and promising um, gifts and putting on a, a smile for for the other um, uh, for the other emissaries. Um, so the players will know there's something up with that and it can be a fun challenge sometimes to kind of separate character knowledge from player knowledge um uh on the other hand you may end up with some players that um don't necessarily haven't necessarily read every source book and don't know that um Roger has this sort of sinister uh spirits pulling the strings in which case you get to sort of work toward towards that fantastic reveal moment um yeah it, it's it's i don't necessarily know where to go at that point other than to say that you've got two very different ways of tackling any game that's going to deal with uh Riedra as a as a theme yeah, and and that's sort of the the point to me is it's it's like a twist on the the classic sort of Mordor situation of saying this is a nation that we objectively look at and say ooh they're bad guys, and yet the point is within the world itself we don't really actually have a lot to point to to say oh they're bad guys, and that that as I said that tension is kind of the point. Uh, Wayne, you have a thought? It's mostly I think one of the things that when this continent is presented um yes there's character knowledge there's in and out of character knowledge and and player knowledge but part of it i feel is that how this continent is presented um, makes a big deal because if you were to ask a dm hey what's this continent let's say you didn't really know how does this dm describe it to you Mm -hmm. because we have our own biases when we describe it right because we know you know Having your mind controlled and losing your freedom for happiness is a bad thing. It's a dystopian future. That's that's our thing. That's our you know. That's what we feel. Um, but if the DM is to describe, it is a utopian society. Um, there's very little crime. There's very little um, you know anything that you know any uh, whatever is that that's going on. Um, you know. And uh, they are looking to build relationships with the with this continent, and it's the birthplace of humanity. Like humans left that continent to come here, but also remember the other lens that we see this through this this continent through is through the lens of a player character race 
yep. which is the Kalistar. And the Kalistar yes. are them bad. We <laughs> escaped from there. We ran away from there. This is a really bad place. Yep. And obviously, as even as a person who does not know what Serlona is, if you've read the character things, it says there are good people, there are good spirits and bad spirits. And that place is full of bad spirits. Yep. And you automatically, as a as a Kalistar, know that as a player, as a player who's read. Uh, through the the player section of of Rising, you know, you're you're an escapee. You're a you're you may be a convict from them, but for you, you're just trying to eke out your freedom, sort of. And so, I think no matter what, um, getting to my point, I think no matter what happens, no matter how we describe Sarlona and Reardra, you're always going to have to deal with that lens, even if people, someone does not know what that that is, and uh, it's not meant and- to be like. Well, and, and that is the point. That is, players can be Kalistar. Kalistar know that the Dreaming Dark is evil. Kalistar generally being hunted by the Dreaming Dark. And that is that whole idea that, again, as player characters, you realize something that you can't necessarily convince the world. That the Kalistar don't really have a lot, you know, to the when you go to King Barnell and say, oh, the inspired are crazy. They're going to say, well, you're actually a lone sort of fruitcake and they're offering us a huge trade deal. You know, I think I'll go with that. You know, and it is all, that idea. All future, all future Kalistar, we're going to rename them to fruitcake. <laughs> yes. Um, but at the, at the same time, it also is intentionally one of the things it brings to uh, the setting into a campaign is it is a vast empire that's strictly controlled by these alien overlords. And so it is a place that you can explore. I know people who've run campaigns that are, let's actually set our campaign in Redra and try and run a rebellion or just people going there and trying to do that sort of thing. And that this is a place where you can have that when that plot doesn't really apply anywhere in Corvair. Mm-hmm. I think well, this, I can- um, uh, I don't know, just a, a call out for anyone who's playing on the table opposite a, a, a Kalash Tar player is you should tell them that all their theories of the universe are bunk conspiracy theories. Um, <laughs> yes, just constantly say, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and and again, it actually, you know, echoing what you said, Wayne, it, uh, it ties back also to Zilargo is another example of this. Where Zilargo is actually a very oppressive culture, and yet the point is, but it's people like it, and and so it's that that sort of trying to create that tension of what do you do when you know okay you have opinions about this, but is it your place to force those opinions uh, on the people? And you know, again, I think it is absolutely the case that in Redra, one of the things we call out is, yes, everybody's fed, there's no crime, you've got shelter. But we call out the fact that, I mean, literally, they don't even get to have their own dreams, that the inspired create dreams for them. And we all can look at that and say, that's pretty creepy. Wait. Well, I think we've uh, we've got to the point where now we're starting to understand, now we're trying to get into this the place. So- <laughs> Let's talk more about this actual place. And mm-hmm. as a DM, what do we have to know? What do you feel like? What do we feel we have to know in order to run a campaign there, to bring the character characters there, to set a rebellion there? 
<laughs> and what is it where you know you get off the boat what what are we looking at and and this is one of the things that comes back to why do you get on the boat in the first place is that idea that this is where humanity came from it's where human civilization evolved and so part of the idea is that you had uh these you know pre-sundering we call them you know these old kingdoms uh, that were all very distinct. The um, the the religion of the sovereign host, essentially, as as followed in the five kingdoms, evolved in a nation called Pyrene in um, uh, in Reidra, and you had another nation, Kalesh, that that was a sort of a predecessor to the Church of the Silver Flame. That they also uh, invoked the power of the Silver Flame. They just didn't use quite the same trappings or beliefs. And uh, there's another nation called Orkaloon that um, basically practiced all kinds of sinister and malefic magics. They're one of the sources of tieflings in the settings. But also the idea is they're a place that's full of crazy, you know, strange magic. And part of that is with all of those, that makes Sarlona a place where people can go to sort of find forgotten secrets. That in the old ruins of Pyrene, you could find some artifact devoted to Orion that, you know, is an incredibly powerful, useful thing. Or in Orkaloon, you could have any number of sort of creepy doomsday weapons that were never used. And so um, there are... 12 active, um, you know, what now are provinces in Rhydra. And the other sort of element of those is Rhydra has very strong manifest zones, uh, what they often call wild zones, where it's like the plains actually push into the world. And so those have had a very strong impact on the region around them. So it also gives you this sort of alien, over-the-top uh, energy there. And in the articles you mentioned earlier, one of those articles is a, a sort of deep dive onto each of these provinces that goes into their history uh, and the way the planes affect them. So, you know, that in itself we could spend hours talking about, but that's a place to look is, is you have those articles that do talk about what makes those all unique. Um. So yeah, I mean, basically that's the point is in there you could find uh, the ruins, which of course the inspired don't want you to poke your poke around in. They want people to stay away from those. You could find artifacts that either you're getting from there or even in Corvair, you can find an artifact that's come from there or a shipment that's come from, uh, from there that could be a sort of driving point of a campaign. Mm. I had some um, NPCs once who were... Um end up in Rhaetra because they're doing the reverse of uh, Lazar's ancient mm-hmm. um, journey. So if you have some pirates in your party, send them across the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the point is Lazar, you know, sort of infamous uh, pirate queen and, and settler, um, comes from the nation of Riavar. Um, and, and that's part of the point is that nation has changed dramatically, uh, under the inspired, but there could still be secrets, you know, Lazar's great treasure, you know, hidden somewhere in Riavar. Um, going back to history, because we didn't, you know, we didn't go. So the basic point is you had these great kingdoms in the past and then the dreaming dark, 
which are spirits from uh, the plane of Dalcor. Essentially, they are trying to... Uh, Dalcor goes through these cycles of upheaval. Every, you know, 40,000 years or so, uh, Dalcor changes. And that changes all the spirits in it as well. And, well, the current spirits don't want to be changed. And their sort of belief is if they can essentially stabilize, if they can create a sort of static, stagnant uh, state across mortals, that they can preserve Dalcor as it is. So they essentially instituted what's called the sundering, where they tricked and provoked, you know, using both dream manipulation, using mind-seated agents. They basically got all the nations of um, Sarlona into war with one another. And so then when you have all these terrible civil wars going on over a great period of time, you have these champions rise up from among the people who are enlightened and have amazing psychic powers and they bond everyone together and stop the wars and unite them into a grand glorious golden age. And that is Redra. And so part of the point is they didn't conquer the people. They basically tricked them into fighting themselves and then popped up as we're here to solve your problem. And uh, one can certainly note that, hey, Corvair has been in a terrible civil war that has lots of people fighting each other. And it's quite plausible to argue that the Dreaming Dark could have instigated the last war. And the main point is, if that's the case, yeah, but they wouldn't have planned the morning because they actually would like people to be fighting. But yeah. So I suppose that's a, a good point to kind of segue into talking about the belief system that uh, the Dreaming Dark set up mm -hmm. post-Sundering to, to to sort of kickstart Reader into the mm -hmm. to the united and glorious empire it is today. Sorry, not empire. The great mm -hmm. unity, the unity, the unity. Where everyone, yeah. everyone has all their needs met, and everything is just fine. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the inspired. Um, yes, who were the well, I'm sure I've, well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know, but if you don't, they're the, um, the chosen people of the spirits, um, who are possessed, um, or blessed, depending on who's, um, talking at any given time. Um, mm -hmm. so, so as you say, these are, these are the, the, the heroes that rose up to unite the continent after everything fell apart in war. And, um, and basically, that's that's the issue is that we know that what the inspired are, are humans or near humans uh, that are willingly possessed by quarry spirits. And what they say is, oh, no, we're possessed by by essentially celestial, you know, enlightened spirits of our enlightened ancestors, you know, so they don't deny, oh, we are possessed by spirits. They just say, yeah, but they're good spirits. <laughs> and and what they basically say is, you know, this tradition they've created, the path of inspiration, uh, essentially says, and if you're a good person, if you, you know, really strive to be the best that you can be, uh, basically there's cycles of reincarnation, you'll return in a better form. And eventually, after many lifetimes, you will be elevated to become one of these great spirits that guides the inspired. And 
you know, sort of part of the whole point of this is compared to, let's say, the blood of all, which says you could be divine. Uh, the in path of inspiration says you could be divine, but not in this lifetime. You know, just follow your path, do what you're told to do and do a good job of it, because that's what will get you elevated in the future. Um, because, of course, it's all the whole point of it is stay in your lane. You know, don't question the the people above you. And if you're a bad person, oh, you're going to get you're going to fall down into the darkness. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting the fact that, you know, we're, we're, you're, you're talking about the, what did it take to wrap an entire civilization, entire continent in one religion? Because everybody mm-hmm. believes, everybody believes work hard, um, do as you're told, you know, follow the, follow these spirits, um, and one day you may as- you may ascend. You might ascend. One reincarnation later, you might ascend. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that has a lot to do with you know the the what's come before and the you know it's propaganda. It's sure absolutely you know, psionic conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. So what about that? Like, I mean, you talked about it before. We're talking about psionics here, and we've talked about several different civilizations or civ- areas where it's wide magic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, Druidic magic, it's divine magic, it's wide monster. Hi, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're talking about, you know, massive, massive, you know, psionic power. And and so part of that, you know, comes to the fact of this is how they accomplished this all in the first place was, you know, one of the main tools of the Dreaming Dark is manipulating people's dreams and, you know, inspiring them creating beliefs you know so again and something like the sundering didn't happen overnight you know we're talking about because again they're immortals you know this is something that played out over centuries as they spread these cult beliefs in different places as they created the champions uh to inspire it when you get to today this is the point of not only you know they have that but uh you know they have uh, they've created these monoliths the humbalani uh, that are basically psionic anchors that help connect the world to Dalcor, but they also serve as sort of massive psionic energy batteries that sort of draw on the the psychic power of the people of the region and store it up. Uh, and the inspired use these both to produce sort of technological effects, like their lighting uh, is done using psychokinetic effects uh, that that's generated you know, by the Hambalani and such. Um, And one of the things they have is what's called the soothing voice. And the soothing voice is essentially a telepathic broadcast network. And so that they can actually broadcast out messages. And throughout the day, you know, they will just broadcast a message. They can do it to a village. They can do it to a, a province, you know, but basically just saying, you're doing a great job, everybody, you know, Lord Sulatesh is proud of you. And, you know, by the way, watch out for this group of outsiders who are really creepy, you know, and are here to cause trouble. Um, so you have these sort of, you know, essentially, whether you put it to, to internet or, you know, news radio, you know, you have essentially the, uh, the, the pundit constantly reminding you of stuff. But then you also have the fact that they program dreams. 
that everybody in particular province, at least, has the same dream, which is itself a propaganda tool. You know, that it's just a dream of how great life is here. And it's so good that the inspired are protecting us from the evil Ilaltas, which are the basically the demons, the demons that want to tempt you to do bad. Um, and so they have that sort of kind of broad control. Uh, it gets to that point that, as we said, they control people's dreams. You know, the people of Redra don't have their own independent dreams, but because they don't have their independent dreams, they don't know what they're missing. And this is part of the thing of when people leave Redra and suddenly start having actual dreams as we understand them, it's incredibly freaky and scary. And this is what the Inspired told us about. There's crazy demons trying to, you know, tell me that I don't have pants and I'm in <laughs> high school. And and that part of the point is that actually reinforces their whole belief system because the Inspired are protecting us from chaos and madness. Yeah, and I, th I think that's... Um a really good uh, sort of reminder you can give to your players as well once they set, in, set foot in Riedra. Mm -hmm. Every time um, they take a long rest, every time they bed mm -hmm. down for the night, come up with a dream to for everyone to share. Um, and it's not necessarily going to be anything related to them um, personally, depending on how much trouble they're Most likely causing. not, yeah. Um, instead, you know, it, it could be a, a, a hopeful narrative about um, sharing, uh, you know, the, the work ethic or sharing mm -hmm. your produce or sharing your um, your companionship or whatever. It, it, it's, um, it's a way to express the unity in the nation and, and these dreams that the PCs are sharing with each other should be a reminder of all the good things about what it's like to live there. And and while you're there though, let's not forget the 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 Kalistar terrorists, you know, that oh, we're going to protect you from. So <laughs> don't worry, we're protecting you from that horrible Kalistar threat. Uh Wayne, you thought? Uh just a really quick thought. Keith did mention earlier, you know, you know, they go if if someone from Airdra goes outside and they realize, mm -hmm. you know, those outsiders are telling them they don't wear pants. If anybody's actually looked at um, <laughs> any inspired art, yeah, um, well, okay. art, or even Kalishtar art, that's um, kind of optional there. <laughs> well, shirts for sure. Who Shirt, wears shirts? shirts? Pants on women yeah. and shirts on men or yeah. males and females, you know. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's yeah, just yeah, one yeah. thing. Just so you know, that can't it, it argue. Is, um, um, now, yes. now, one of the things that this touches on, though, going back to wide psionics, uh, is this point that part of the difference between Corvair and Redra is that because it is this unified uh, society, that a lot of the most sort of powerful effects and such are part of the the social framework that they aren't just you know people don't buy stuff you know it's not about getting your cool glamour weave or things like that it's about public services so light comes from the hanbalani our dreams are uh psychic broadcasts um we, you know, there's there's a certain degree of temperature control. Uh, they have a teleportation network that actually lets them very quickly move supplies 
uh, between the major cities. They can move supplies or they can move troops between the main sort of hub cities, uh, you know, very, very quickly. But that's not a service that that you can just use as a random citizen, in part because as a random citizen, you don't need to go anywhere. You know, you're where you need to be. Um, we talked a little about the idea that a lot of uh, regions actually aren't literate and don't really have to be. And that part of it is instead of street signs, you know, in writing, you actually just have sort of psychically imprinted symbols that you just sort of know the meaning of when you look at them. Um, and that, you know, you have a lot of that sort of uh, underlying telepathic broadcast where you just know the things you need to know. We also mentioned, I uh, haven't mentioned yet, the Sentira factories. And this is part of the idea that one of the core materials that is used in uh, Raedra that ties again to this alien sort of flavor of it is a substance called Sentira, uh, which is actually sort of an solidified ectoplasm sort of shaped from different emotions. And that based on the emotion used to create it, it has sort of different qualities and aspects. And one of the things we've talked about is that you basically have Sentira factories where the primary job of a lot of the people who go there is to go there and feel something. And, you know, this is the sorrow factory. And, you know, whereas this is the happiness factory and working in the happiness factory is much better than the sorrow factory, which is really something we often will use prisons for is for our sorrow factories. I think a lot of these uh, uh, sort of effects we're talking about in terms of everyday psionics or the, the, the psionics that are, are used by Riedra, um, it makes me think that... Um, Maybe wide psionics isn't necessarily the, the, the term. Um, in contrast to sort of Corvair, where we think of wide magic as something that um, everyone or nearly everyone or most people have access in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, I think in Riedra, the contrast is more, it's sort of tall psionics rather than wide. <laughs> In the sense that, you know, all the, all the, this fast sonic power, you know, this is a constant right. wide telepathic network. It's all in, um, it's all controlled and run by the inspired. And right. um, the, the, the commoners working the fields or the soldiers patrolling the boundaries of Sirkan or Adar or so on. There may be some people with sonic talents among them, but they're not the ones leveraging that power for the state. Um. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is a good point that, that um, part of the point is that most people don't have psionic power. You know, they benefit from the light, the, mm. the heat, the, you know, uh, the messages. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, they aren't actually, you know, some people are trained in minor ways, but for the most part, the common person doesn't need to have psionic powers or magic. You know, they're sort of, their job is to either go to the factory and feel sad or to work in the fields. And so I think you're absolutely right that, that part of it is that it's a very different thing. And unlike Corvair, where anybody, you know, could learn magic in um, Redra, people who 
are taught to use psionics are taught to do it for a purpose that, you know, this is part of the basic point of Redra is everyone has a purpose and your job is to follow that path. Um, and, you know, yeah, like that. And I suppose that's, and failing to do so is going to, you know, earn you a knock on the door from the, the thousand eyes, for right. example, who are, who are very diligent in setting up this this constant psionic surveillance of yeah. of every citizen to make sure that you do stay in your own lane, that if you do develop psionic powers, you will be scooped up and sent to the relevant agency. Um, yep. And and this is a point of some people have called out names like the the army of Rudra is the harmonious shield. And and some people have called that out as trying to evoke a certain cultural move, which actually I'll say the primary inspiration was almost War Orwell. That it was trying to say they don't call their army something menacing, it's the harmonious shield. It's here to protect us. And the thousand eyes are very much the thought police. You know, that they are literally monitoring people telepathically and trying to uh, keep people from out of line. And, you know, the point is overall, you know, the sort of catch is that the inspired do want the people to be happy. You know, so it's not this grim, everyone's miserable, but they want them to be happy specifically according to their particular guidelines. <laughs> you know, uh, Wayne? Well, I mean, you're saying, you know, harmonious shield and, and people like, you don't call when you eat humans, yep. animalism, you call it Southern Green. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And, like, and the inspired and, and, are good at branding. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically. And the thing is, is that you're, you're cyanic landing. So like, if you think about it, like we're, we're talking about, you know, we've got our five senses and you're adding a sixth one in. So basically these thought police are basically going we're not just going to control what you see and what you do and and whatnot and and spy on you. We're actually going to look in your mind and be like, oh, you know what? There's a deviant thought here. Right. And it's not – I can almost imagine this is not like the trust where it's like, well, deviancy, we're going to – you know, you dis, we're going to disappear you. It's like we're very sorry. Like the thought – you know, the thought police are like, we're very sorry. You're having some weird thoughts. Let us come help you. We're going to take you and we're going to help you reintegrate back into society like right. you know really really like one of those things rather than the thought police kicking your door down yeah, so if this, you're visited by them it's not that you've done anything <clears throat> it's almost like when you're visited by them it's not that you've done anything wrong it's that something has changed and we need to make sure that you're we, we bring you back into the fold we're, we're we're one harmonious unit we're one unified country and i think that's one of the things that um, whenever I look at that and whenever I see it, I'm going to go, you know what? They're not going to – they're not going to brand themselves – like, again, Harmonious Shield. They're not going to brand themselves as thought police, even right. though we're using that term. <clears throat> they are the ones that are going to help you. They're they're the, they're the here to detect something that's wrong so you can go see the doctor. Right. They're the com- preventative back, medicine. Yeah. And this comes back to the path of inspiration. What they're detecting is, yes, these deviant thoughts are the result of the influence of the Elaltus, the the demons that are trying to drag you down and pull you from the path. And we just want to put you back on the path, you know? So, uh, so yeah, we're here to help you with these, these strange and confusing ideas that you're thinking that are going to pull you in a bad direction. Um, so the Thousand Eyes are the, the again, the, you know, watching for dangerous influences in uh, society, 
Whereas on the other hand, you then have what are called the edge walkers and the edge walkers watch for danger on the edges of society. Part of what we talked about is the point that uh, Ridra has very powerful manifest zones and that you do have these regions that are literally sort of planar crossover points, you know, where, where planes are leaking out or where the influence of the plane may give people strange ideas. You know, in a Shavaran area, people are going to be more aggressive. Irian uh, will tend to give people hope, which, you know, not necessarily what we want. And so the edge walkers basically are a combination, you know, they, they manage these regions that have been sealed off and that people are not supposed to go to the realm of hope. Um, they keep people out of the ruins and they are also essentially the men in black, you know, the emergency exorcists, you know, the, the force that is dealt, you know, is trained to deal with extra planar threats. And, you know, we'll get to this in a moment when it comes to players. One of the, of course, ironies of this is, well, the inspired are an extra planar threat. So they have this sort of juggling thing of they need the edge walkers to be very confident in what they do to protect them from other dangers. But the edge walkers are therefore also the most sort of potential force that could recognize the danger of the dreaming dark and try and do something about it. I mean, we sorry. I'd like, we've talked a lot about this. I mean, how does as a DM, how does this work? Mm -hmm. I, I, I use that term very broadly. Mm -hmm. How, how do you introduce <clears throat> players and your player characters into this, what seems like a relatively closed society. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you, you know, a, a pervasive thought police and people who are reading your mind and how do you introduce, you know, mm -hmm. the chaos of player characters into, let's say, this kind of subsetting of Eberron? Well, and part of the question is why you want to do it. And it comes back to all the things we discussed before. What is the purpose? Is it that you want them to recover something from one of the ruins? Is it that you want them to actually get involved with trying to rebel against the inspired? Basically, are they just there for a visit or are they there for the long haul? And so one of the things is to first have people encounter elements of it in Corvair. You know, again, we encounter uh, a group of uh, Redrins. We encounter that inspired ambassador. We encounter Kalistar, who, you know, one of the big points is the Kalistar can ask people for help. Is we need to go back. We need to strike a blow. Uh, we need to do something in particular. Or also very much with some of the Kalistar, you can have the point of, well, we need to do this thing you know, plant this, whether it's planting a bomb, whether it's getting something out, but we can't because our faces are known. We need you as a group of strangers who are not Kalistar uh, to, to go in there and do something on our behalf. Now, uh, another point is that there are resistance movements already in Redra. You have the, um, the Unchained Dreamers, who are basically, their whole thing is free dreaming. And you could almost have one of them reach out through dreams to people in Corvair, and you could essentially have a dream pen pal. 
who you know is talking to about what's going on in in uh, in Redra until you finally get out there to help them. Posters uh, suck on that one. <laughs> yep. Uh, the uh, you know other forces like the Horn Shadow or the Heirs of War Kaloon are are sinister forces, but there again, you could uh, have something where you discover a group of the Heirs of War Kaloon sort of operating in Corvair, and they are going to Redra to try and find some doomsday weapon and you've got to get to Orkaloon and, and, you know, get there first. So, uh, and one other wacky sort of, how do you have people suddenly have to deal with this is you can also get to Redra through either Kyber by passing through one of the demi planes or through manifest zones, such as especially, um, Thelonian or Lemonian, manifest zone. So part of it is, oh, people are wandering around the Twilight Domain and suddenly, boom, they've come out in the middle of uh, Redra with a bunch of edgewalkers, you know, <laughs> wanting to know what they're doing there. So, you know, it's that question of, do you have the players going there with a mission? Do you have them just going there because, you know, that's their expedition from Morgrave University want, has hired them to, to bodyguard as they go investigate an old ruin? Or do you want to drop them in there with a sort of, okay, now you've got to find your way back because unfortunately that manifest zone door closed behind you and you could do any of those. Imogen? Yeah, I just, uh, I think it's worth highlighting here um, for those missions that are starting out with with something that looks like a legitimate expedition, whether it truly is or not, then a great place to start a, a campaign or at least to start a section of a campaign um, is through the districts in Dajin and mm-hmm. Bar Ulatesh, um, mm-hmm. the, the Jodra. Um, so the these regions or these small sections of these larger cities where um, Corvarians are allowed um, to to be and to exist and, and to interact with um, reagents on a on a um, limited level, mm-hmm. um, and that's a, a, a kind of a good starting point to start introducing and interacting with uh, the various organizations that we've been talking about. For example. You might have to deal with agents of the Thousand Eyes before you're even allowed into the country to start whatever expedition you want to. And in fact, trying to argue that you should be allowed um, through the Iron Gate, um, as, as that kind of that, that border organization is called, is can be a whole thing in in of itself. Um, but that does raise an important point, though, which is that you can get permission. You know that, again, if you are with a Morgrave expedition, like you said, you can request expedi- you know, uh, permission and get sort of allowances. And basically, you're just under strict don't, don't interfere, don't cause trouble. Uh, but it's not like, you know, you have to, you know, getting into Redra means you're a fugitive or a renegade. You can legitimately get travel permits if you have some place to go, if you're willing to, to go through those things. Uh, Darjin is covered in the Secrets of Sorlona sourcebook in some detail. And it's another interesting point is that if you want to play with that, we're probably going to get into a rebellion plot line. You could just start a campaign with the people 
uh, with the player characters working, you know, for the dragon marked houses or for other legitimate businesses in the Jodra, you know, and that you're starting out, you have a reason to be here. But as, you know, Imogen, as you said, it's, you're going to start making contact with rebellious factors Mm -hmm. or things like that. And where do you go from there? Yeah. And that's, um, well, I'm going to plug my module now here. Yeah, tweet too, please do. Um, Tell us, yeah, give us the the gist. That starts, uh, or at least the the first major scene of that module is in the Jodra in Da'ulatesh. And you have to make the decision of, of whether I, you know, start making contacts with, say, the dragon-marked houses or any dissidents to try and get into the country by surreptitious means, or do I just go and sit down with the Iron Gate and with the Thousand Eyes and have a, a conversation, an interview, mm-hmm. if you will, a very civilized um, interrogation. Um, and I, I, I have to admit, while, while playtest while playtesting this adventure, mm-hmm. um, sitting down with my players to interrogate them as a Thousand Eyes agent is um, <laughs> an incredibly fun experience, <laughs> shall we say. Just dig into all their backgrounds and all their um, secrets and lay them out on the table and watch them squirm. Um, <laughs> I'm a good person, honest. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> so we're uh, we're getting on in time. So with that in mind, we should probably speak to you know the other aspect of we're talking about what could draw you to adventures in Redra. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, another question is is how this uh, affects players. And you know, on the one hand, we've just talked a little about the idea of Corvarian characters in uh, in Redra either temporarily or long-term. And and part of the whole point there is, are you fighting against the civilization? Are you trying to undermine it? Are you trying to find, you know, to be in harmony with it? Um, But you can also go the other direction of having characters from Rhaedra in Corvair. And there, there's the, you know, the easy path for that is uh, renegades like the Kalistar. You know, people who have fled uh, from Redren persecution and are in Corvair because, uh, because you know, you know, potentially trying to rally people uh, to do something. But it can also be very interesting to go in the other direction and to actually play a loyal Redren who has some reason. You know, you have a quest, you have a purpose, you have something you're supposed to be finding or exploring. So, you know, you could be an edgewalker who is on a mission, but you still believe in the inspired. You believe in the Redren way of life. And yet at the same time, you can explore how does that work as you interact with Corvair? Do you find the people of Corvair to be corrupt and, you know, un, you know uh, chaotic? Uh, or do you see an appeal to what their their you know their style of life, and that can be an interesting thing to explore over time. It also gets you also get in in terms of that you also get to kind of sort of turn some of your typical things on their head because as a Riordan uh, character, you're not going to know everything about Corvair that mm-hmm, the average mm-hmm. person sees. I mean, a war forged, 
um, is probably pretty new to you. Yep. You, you heard stories. Um, you're going to be, you know, you're either going to, you, you, like one of the easiest stories is you're hunting a bunch of Kalistar, you know, they're because they're the enemies of the state. Right. Um, and you can, obviously there's a, you can put the moral decision there. Um, but the other things are you could be hunted because now you are the foreigner, foreigner in this continent. Yep. And maybe someone wants to hunt you down and kidnap you and use you. Um, <clears throat> there's lots of, there's lots of opportunity there to sort of turn your typical, um, allies that we would know and, and recognize in Corvair and turn them on their head. I mean, maybe someone, you know, maybe someone in the flame suspects you, you know, so they're going to come after you, you know, Kalistar <clears throat> generally are everybody's friends, but now they're coming after you. Um, those are your enemies now. Like there's a lot of different things you can, you can do just being, being loyal, being from a different continent. It's like you've walked in and everything is brand new to you. Yeah, and I mean, just taking that that basic concept. Let's go back to the Edgewalker that we talked about. You know, a uh, a very concrete example is the heirs of Orkaloon, who are basically arcane. Uh, you know, um, I guess I'll say terrorists for lack of a better word, uh, who are trying to unearth the ancient powers of Orkaloon and use them to do terrible things. And you could certainly say you are an Edgewalker who is sent pursuing. Uh, a cell of the, the heirs of Orkaloon that has come to Corvair either to obtain something and you're trying to stop them or to do something terrible. You believe that the heirs of Orkaloon are here to try and destroy Sharn. And, you know, that is a thing that we can all agree is bad. Uh, but, you know, or they're trying to learn the secrets of the morning so they could use it as a weapon in, in Redra. Um, but as you say, you get that fun thing of saying, you know, you can have a character who absolutely the mission you are on is, is a hundred percent a good mission. And you're trying to save people here as well in Redra. But like you said, are the Kalistar going to now be actually targeting you because they see you as a villain. And, uh, you know, that can be again, a fun thing to explore. <laughs> now, one of the, the challenges that comes up when you get to this is a lot of people will say, well, yeah, but you just said earlier that part of the whole point of uh, Sarlona and Redra specifically is to explore psionics. How do we do that in fifth edition where psionics aren't a strongly defined system? And hmm? psionics is... Psionics is one of the hot, I think the one of the hotly debated topics mm-hmm. of any edition of uh, of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, um, except for people who play Dark Sun uh, exclusively, um, you know, it's not a co- it's not as common. It's not a common thing. Uh, we've had obviously many many versions of Psionics um, in Fifth Edition, and no one has been a hundred percent happy with anything. I, I we're not going to get a hundred percent, but. Yep. Um, there's been a lot of different things where people are like, no, it's not this, it's this, it's it's, it's a lot of different things. I think, um, you know, I I liked the Mystic, you know, back when um, I thought it was overpowered. <laughs> you know, it wasn't yeah. balanced. Yeah, it, that's it was, why I liked the Mystic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it was uh, it was a different implementation. I think one of the things in until we actually see Fifth Edition Psionics, one of the things that you really need to take into account, and even though it's not a different system, is just start reflavoring things. Mm-hmm. You know, 
in exploring Eberron, we had the mind domain, and it's specific, we specifically call out the fact: hey, we know this is dia- you know divine magic, but if you start thinking about it as psionics, it becomes psionics. Mm-hmm. And and this is exactly the point: is that this is where fifth edition intentionally is kind of nebulous about things. Uh, Jeremy Crawford has called out that in many ways the Great Old One Warlock was intended to be a character that could be played as a psionic character that you're you've got telepathy you know telepathic powers and a lot of times with spellcasters the critical aspect is picking spells that make sense you know if you want to play a bard but call yourself a thought singer we'll pick powers like charm person detect thoughts uh, you know, mage hand, you know, if you pick the right assortment of powers, then it feels like, oh, I can call that my mage hands, my telekinetic ability, my detect thoughts is my telepathy, you know, that, yes, mechanically, you are casting a spell, but it's up to you what that looks like and exactly how you're doing it. You know, is your charm person, I'm speaking a magic word that makes people love me, or is it that I am, you know, my eyes are glowing and I'm twisting your thoughts in my direction? And um, again, with things like the mind domain for the cleric, we specifically created that with that in mind. Um, but as a DM, uh, I'm certainly willing to work with a player to reflavor a thing or two. Uh, you know, change a damage type to psychic if it, you know, sort of gives the spell a different feel, um, you know, to, to sort of help capture this character, you know, has more of that feeling. And I think in one of the recent articles I wrote about, I mean, it's easy to have like a monk feel like a psionic driven character, but you can uh-huh. even take a barbarian and say, oh, when I rage, I'm actually basically like channeling psychokinetic energy. And let's face it, when I rage, I do a little more damage, I get a bonus to strength checks, and I take less damage. And it's easy for me to say that's not because I'm angry, it's because I am literally generating a kinetic shield that is pushing away, uh, you know, the physical damage I'm taking. And But I, but I can only maintain this state for a short period of time. <laughs> Um, and so really, you know, don't be limited by the default assumed flavor of the ability. Rage doesn't have to be rage. Uh, you know, focus on what the ability does and ways that you can describe that that make more sense for your character. Mm-hmm. And this can even be a, a, a good um, way to introduce, if you did want to reage your allied character, um, you can reflavor some of these abilities as if you are a chosen when you become possessed as an inspired. Um, and I was thinking like with this barbarian example, you just brought up Keith is what if your rage, <clears throat> what if your rage is your do Laura Corey master mm-hmm. is taking control of your body and you become this exactly. nightmare spirit of rage. Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of potential in, in that. And, you know, as both of you have said, file off every proper noun and write your own one in um, <laughs> and you can have a lot of fun. I think, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up um, what we were talking about. I mean, yeah. we've talked about Beardra several times and, uh, and, the and, and, and whatnot. So um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Anything else to add? Uh, not for me. 
Um, I think we can all agree that Reager is the greatest unity <laughs> in all of Everon. Um, We're going to go there again and again. It's better yeah. than yeah. that. <laughs> That's right. Listen to your listen to your quarry overlords. That's right. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on our episodes or leave a review on the podcast service of your choice. Um, and you can even find links to all of our social media. Let us know what you think and join us next time as we follow the Dragon Shard rush to Cabrera. And until next time, keep exploring. This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that expel. You <laughs> <laughs> were so good there, too. It was totally okay. like, oh, you had, you oh, had yeah, a voice. Well. Okay. I almost thought I was listening to Christian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to do my Christian Serrano voice, and I just, I just started laughing. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's try <laughs> We're going to leave that in for the outtakes. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to, yeah, I'm gonna, we're gonna have to cut that let's one out there. That one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang on a second. I'm still laughing. <clears throat> okay. <laughs>